Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 42. This is my first episode as a married woman. Do I, do I sound different? <laughs> um, the wedding was really beautiful. We danced the whole night with our friends and with our family, and both Lucas and I are so happy with how everything went, and we're really grateful for all the support. A lot of you have written to me on Facebook and on Instagram, and uh, we really appreciate all the love and support. So thank you. Um, So it is only fitting, being that this is the first show as a married woman, that we talk about love. So let me begin by sharing one of my favorite quotes by Rumi. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. I truly believe, I know that this is true, that when we begin to do the inner work, that we open ourselves up to more love. So to help us open ourselves up to more love and to address some of those barriers, we're going to speak to one of my closest friends, Terry Cole. Terry is the real deal. She is a licensed psychotherapist. She's a relationship expert. She's a master coach. She works with top celebrities. She's been on a bunch of different TV shows. And now she's spending time with us to really empower us so that we can feel like we can experience more love. So whether you are single, whether you're in a relationship, you're going to get a lot from uh, today's episode. So Terry, thank you so much for being with us. Why, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, people might not know this, but not only are you this amazing uh, coach, but we're also very close friends and you were Hmm. one of my wedding guests. Yes, I sure as heck was. It was amazing. Thank you. So I thought we'd like start by gossiping about the wedding because it's really all I want to talk about. And you know what? Kind of me too. (laughs) (laughs) So we really lucked out with the weather. It was beautiful. I got married Mm. in um, Moon Palace, Cancun. But I'm so curious, Terry, like I I was in it. And so I feel like now I'm, I'm almost reliving it in a different way because I'm able to look at pictures or hear from different people because when you're in it, you, you enjoy it, but it's a it's almost a different experience because it's hard to take all of it in. And so I've really right. been trying to uh, just to take it all in now and just to reflect on it. So did anything? What What do you have to share as a guest? Oh, it was so it was really super beautiful, and and the the locale was stunning. That was Moon so, Moon Palace, Cancun. We'll do a shout out to them. Yes, please, because it was really, really beautiful. The most amazing room, a huge tub that was like a one of those. What are they called? Where the water moves around? The world jacuzzi whirlpools, yeah. jacuzzi, and like a bed that could have fit like seventeen people. It was really <laughs> the, it, very posh, very gorgeous. But what I found was that. Everyone was so happy to be there. And of course, Vic and I were so thrilled to be there as well. And 
everyone was in such a good mood because you're there because people have found the right match. And I've knew, you know, I've known you for years and I've known the whole journey and I've sort of been on that speed dial yes. for the, for the relationship part of this journey. And so the joy and satisfaction, I felt like I couldn't stop crying, you know, the entire time I was like, Oh my God, little Jess is getting married, <laughs> but in a really, really happy way and seeing your family there being so happy. Everyone was just, I don't know when people find each other and you have that vibe of love happening, it's very contagious. Like it infuses. I felt like every couple that was there felt madly in love. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, we definitely had a lot of criers too. Like my family, <laughs> the men in my family are big criers, um, sentimental <laughs> criers. And uh, Kate, like Kate Northrup <laughs> told me that she like lost it during oh, yeah, the vows. She was <laughs> Oh, it's so sweet. We had like an amazing photographer, Cameron Ingalls, and Cam has done so many weddings. So after I asked him, like, so what, what, what did you think? And he's like, I have never been to a wedding where so many people were dancing. Like mm-hmm. all oh night. It was madness. It was so fun. So awesome. Just great. I mean, we danced. I mean, my feet were like bloody. Like, <laughs> We just couldn't stop. We just actually couldn't stop. It was so great. And the weather was so perfect. And it was kind of a moody time to be in Mexico. And the fact that we ended up with the night of your wedding, which was, you know, outside on a rooftop, basically, was perfect. And that next night, it rained at the exact same time that you were, we were dancing the night before. So I was so grateful you yeah. know, that you got perfect, that the little weather angels were with us. Yeah, no, me too. We really, we really, really lucked out. And uh, we'll put some, I'll put some photos of the wedding in the notes. That's the tappingsolution.com mm-hmm. forward slash notes. And, uh, and we'll share some of those photos. But it was, yeah, it was so special. And Terry, it was so special to have you and Vic there because you are a relationship that long before I met Lucas, I really admired and, you know, did and still look up to you both. Mm -hmm. So it was really lovely to have you guys there. Thank you for coming. Of course. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. (laughs) I had a ball. And Vic did some beautiful um, watercolors, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm hoping to get my hands on one of those. I've been emailing him. So I think he's going to send me one. But yes. Yes. No, no. He Trust me. He sent you the day that you got in touch. You should be getting (laughs) it today. (laughs) Oh, that is so special. That's so special. Yeah, Vic is an amazing illustrator, amazing artist. So, well, again, thank you for uh, for being there for me. And it just makes this show, this first show uh, since I've been married, just so divine and so perfect because, yes, the wedding was great. And, yes, we were lucky enough to get married in a beautiful destination and we had some great weather. But really what made that day so special was just the relationship that Lucas and I have. It was a celebration of of what we have. And I wish this on everybody. I just – I hope mm. that everybody can feel this kind of love. And I – I do believe in fate. I feel like destiny brought us together. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that all of the inner work I did for so many years Mm -hmm. really paid off. And a lot of the work I did with you, you've guided me a lot. So um, I'm very excited to share this with with my audience. So before I mentioned that Rumi quote, which when I was single, I would always – 
say that to myself. You know, this idea mm. of, okay, I don't need to go looking for love. I just need to be open. You know, I need to work on my fears and my doubts or um, the patterns where I was attracting a certain type of person that wasn't yep. for my higher good. And so I think this inner work really does pay off. Let's talk about these barriers. Let's talk about these blocks. I, mean, I know that you work with people who are already in a relationship and people who are single, but mm -hmm. regardless of the situation, do you see some common barriers? Oh, yeah. So I've been a relationship expert for a really long time because of my own, my own experience with, I feel like, changing what sort of could have been my destiny. Do you know what I mean? Like having an awareness that allowed me to do exactly what you're talking about, this inner work that shifted some, I call them downloaded love blueprints, right? It's like a paradigm or how we think about love, what we think is possible, what we think love is like. We really, if we don't question what was sort of just dropped into our minds by a family of origin, the culture that we're from, a lot of times we are given, um, not everyone is like you, you know, Jess, you had your own work to do because everything impacts our love blueprint, mm -hmm. our, you know, where we are in the family system, experiences we have in our young lives. And you happen to have a really beautiful role model because your parents have been mar happily married because I know them for many, yeah. many years. <laughs> Decades, let's yes. say, but not everyone has that. Mm. And even if you do have that, you still have a, you could have a downloaded blueprint that is blocking you for making this heart connection with someone that you want. And so I became very um, interested in decoding this for myself because my original belief was that because my parents um, got married when they were in college, um, because my mother was pregnant with my oldest sister. And so my mother had to drop out of college and she never went back to college. So keep in mind, you know, what I saw for love, my parents, there, there wasn't violence. It wasn't like that. It just didn't look fun. Mm. You know, it just didn't look fun. It looked like my mother felt kind of trapped until she ended the marriage. She had an affair with her boss and ended the marriage. And she's okay with me talking about that because I asked her permission before I tell that story to anybody because, you know, she's worked it through herself. But this is what happens. We act these things out if we don't know how to talk them out mm. in the relationship, right? Those are your only two choices, people. Act them out or talk them out. Yes. Yes. You know, in um, in my vows, you might remember there was this line where I I said to Lucas – Falling in love with you didn't feel like falling. It felt like flying. I never knew oh, that, that love. <laughs> I'm crying again. <laughs> I, I said, I never knew that love could make me feel so free. And one of my limiting beliefs and one of my fears was that if I met someone that I loved, that I would have to sacrifice what I love. And so I'd have to sacrifice my career or I'd have to just be s smaller. And I would notice that when I would, you know, enter into relationships, I'd always kind of shrink myself a little bit because I was scared that the person couldn't handle all of me. Or, mm. um, or even when I would have moments when I would succeed. So say I got my book deal or a certain launch went particularly well. I remember having these thoughts of, oh, my goodness, the more successful I am, 
the more I alienate myself from other men. Mm. And I, that's cultural because it's not like my yeah. parents told me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's what I was going to say before. That's a great point, Jess, is that it isn't only about your parents, because part of the downloaded love blueprint that I help people unpack is what is the culture? What is the tribe that you're from? So I've helped a lot of women who are from countries where women are very marginalized or really, really valued less than men, actually, like for real. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can imagine that that puts you in a hard position to be yourself in a relationship because you feel like you need to be pleasing this person all the other time or that you're kind of lucky to have them. So there's a lot about what you're saying that makes total sense. Even if you had parents who had a great marriage, this belief that you, you needed to dim your light in order to not threaten another person, like how would you attract? I had a very similar situation when I was younger and dating, and I had a friend who gave me this terrible advice that um, I should A, lie about my age, and I was like, okay, I'm not doing that, but great, um, and B, she was like, you know, you're, you're a lot, and, you know, you, you have to, like, make the man feel like, you know, like he's your hero, and I was like, well, if I met someone who acted like my hero, I'm happy to help them feel that way. But you're telling me I have to pretend that I'm like demure and some wallflower. I can do that for about two hours. Like they're going to know <laughs> that I'm faking. You know what I mean? Like she, she had a terrible, keep in mind, she's divorced three times now, but whatever. This was many years ago. Um, so I know what you mean about being, having this fear of if I am my full self, will I be rejected or will I be too much or will they... Will they um, be threatened by my success? And that's really common, Jess. Yeah. So, so you said earlier that we either have to talk, we talk things out or we act them out. Was that it? Yep. yep. So if someone's listening to this and they're nodding their head going, yeah, that's what I do. How do we talk it out? How do we go from having a pattern like that to feeling like we're making a shift? Well, let, let's back it up a teeny bit. Yeah. And there's something that I love to do with um, clients because I've always tried to figure out what is the most direct route to unpacking these things. Because just because I spent you know 30 years in therapy and because I'm a therapist, I don't feel like that's necessary. I feel like there are, I don't mean shortcuts because you do have to do the work, of course, but there are more direct routes to this information. So I've created a way of basically unpacking people's um, romantic blueprint. So basically, when I say romantic blueprint, you're talking about someone who doesn't know how to talk about difficult things maybe in a relationship. Well, that's part of their romantic blueprint. I was raised in a family that was very waspy. Nobody talked about anything, right? But I knew certainly knew what fork to use, but I'm okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad I'm prepared for life. Thanks, parents. Um, I definitely have my napkin is on my lap and I'm asking if I can be excused, but I have no idea how to have a real conversation with anyone about anything if it's negative because it was all seemingly, you know, how it was perceived was like that was very uncouth. To talk about those things was kind of crass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, hi. And, and if you know me, I mean, crass would, wouldn't be a word that you wouldn't use sometimes, you know? <laughs> I'm sure my parents both are like, oh, well, we tried. Um, (laughs) Moving on to what can people do if they want to have more understanding 
of how they are being in their relationship. How can you talk more honestly with your partner? How can you be effective in that communication? How can you draw boundaries in a loving way and stay lovingly attached and still have a firm boundary? Because these are all the questions. When we talk about being healthy in a relationship, especially with women, don't you think that these are the questions that they would like answered? Yes. Me too. <laughs> so, so I came up with this sort of easier way. So let's let's talk about that. I came up with a way. There's something therapeutically that's called your attachment style. And it doesn't necessarily matter exactly why you have the attachment style you have. It's definitely from growing up, family of origin, the experiences you had. What is most um, important is that when you understand your attachment style, and it's super quick, I'll go over, there's three of them, I'll go over them in like, literally, it'll take a minute and people will be like, oh my God, that's totally me. Okay. Like they're very different and they're very easy to recognize because your life will tell you, the relationships in your life tell you exactly what attachment style you have. So why do we care about attachment style? Because this, coupled with understanding your romantic blueprint, which I'll give you a couple of questions, and we'll also, I'll also provide something so that listeners can just download it and do it themselves afterwards. So don't worry, don't take notes. Jess will provide this for you. This is how we come up with how you are being in your relationships, who you attract and how you interact and why. And it's that awareness that gives you the opening to change what needs to change. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So let's talk about attachment styles. According to attachment theory, so there's three primary styles. The first one is people who are securely attached. So being securely attached, this is the most common, actually, probably half of the country is securely attached, which means that you're pretty comfortable with intimacy. You're pretty effective in your communication, like communicating your needs and talking to your feelings, right? If you're a, talking about your feelings, if you're in a relationship, um, you are reliable, right? You create little drama. You're not a drama queen or king. That's not the way that you interact. Um, and you seem to have a stabilizing effect on other people in your life who might have less secure attachment styles. You really think so, it's half the country? Well, listen, like, that was a statistic. And you know oh, what's okay. funny? I did think that was... I, I, I felt exactly the same way. And you know what's funny? We could look it up before we get off. I wonder if that's an old statistic or if that's a wrong statistic because that seems like too many people. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I mean, I don't mean to like not show my faith in humanity, but I was surprised. You know what? I think that when, when we're done with this, we're going to add that statistic to the writing part of this. Okay. <laughs> All right. The second kind is people who are anxiously attached. So the, these, are, these are people in their relationships who really crave in, intimacy, but they're also overly concerned about their relationship and about their partner. Like, what are they doing? Where are they? They worry that their partner doesn't want to be as close to them as they want to be. And they're also super dialed into their partner's moods, which is sort of like this codependent way of being. Their moods and actions, everything's very, everything feels very personal when you are anxiously attached um, they also do well with securely attached people, right? Because someone who is solid will bring the anxiety of someone who's anxiously attached down. But unfortunately, they also have a tendency to be attracted to people who have, who are not securely attached. Mm -hmm. So does that make sense? We got the anxiously attached people, yep. overly concerned about their partner, insecure, kind of checking their phone, perhaps wondering where they are. Now, the, the last one we're going to talk about is the avoidantly attached people. So these people equate intimacy with loss of independence. 
So oh, because that was, they feel that was me. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. Like, am I gonna? Am I gonna have to? You said exactly that in the beginning. Will I need to give up what I love to be in love? Right. And the answer is no. Nope. <laughs> but that is an illusion. Or the answer is yes if you think it's yes. So that's why we unpack this stuff because when we have these limiting beliefs, we need to confront them and say, "Hey, that may have been true." For someone else in my life or someone else that I saw, but it doesn't have to be true for me. So back to avoidance. Um, they try to minimize closeness and they sometimes will be called emotionally distant. They desire attachment. They really do. Like they want love, but they feel suffocated by too much intimacy. They don't really easily understand their partner's mental and emotional states. And I can tell you right now that there are plenty of avoidance on the you know right left swipe dating scene because short term relationships are really their specialty. Right now, can you do people fit in these categories uh, pretty precisely, or can you? Because because I'm hearing some of these, and I'm like, well, I'm I was kind of like this, and I was kind of like that. Yes, that's a great question. And no, it's sort of like doshas. If you know anything about Vedic doshas, that you can have a primary. Like with attachment styles, you can have a primary attachment style. And of course, there can be elements. Because listen, how can, how can we, all of us have some anxiety, right? All of us are slightly anxious about things, especially being even being in a good relationship that's safe. We could have fears that that person, now that we're falling deeply in love, that they're going to betray us or hurt us. And that would create anxiety, which doesn't mean that you're primarily anxiously attached. It just means you're experiencing anxiety. Right. So yes, you'll have a primary attachment style. And you can have secondary attachment styles as well. So once you look at this, it's helpful to see, oh, who have I been attracting? What men or what women have I been attracting in my life? And this, this gives you a little bit of a snapshot. And again, don't worry about, we'll, we'll put this in the, in the show notes so you'll be able to download it. And you'll have a little cheat sheet and a little guide so you can get a little bit more into it. Right. Um, the other thing that we want to add to this is the blueprint. So the love blueprint itself. So we just have a couple of questions. So do you want to go that or do you have any other questions about this? I want to real quick before we do that. Um, yeah. the, this word attract what you're attracting, I think, is an is an interesting thing to talk about because I have found that there is some woo woo in it. I mean, sometimes the things I've attracted, I'm like, really, universe like that. I have to believe that there's something else behind the scenes mm -hmm. making this happen. And the other aspect of it which was a big aha moment for me, is that we always want to prove ourselves right. Even if it's a disempowering belief, yep. we always want to stay congruent with what we believe. And so if we really believe that we have to lose freedom in order to be in a relationship, just using that as an example, then we will continuously find moments because that's what we're looking for. That's the only thing that we are focusing on. It's like looking around the room and just noticing everything that's red, you notice it all. If you right. close so, your eyes and you ask yourself what's green, you have no idea. Right. You know what? I've, I have an interesting uh, different spin on that, but it's the same exact thing. Or maybe, maybe just add something to yeah. exactly what you're saying is that your unconscious mind is the best executive assistant you will ever find. And if you have these limiting unconscious beliefs, like you just said, that in order to be in love, I have to give up my, what I love, let's say, your executive assistant is trying to make your conscious mind, which is the boss, right all the time. So we're constantly looking for affirmation 
of that limiting belief. Like, you're right, boss, it's true. See, you, you're dating this guy and he wants you to stop working and when you get married. See, you're right, you're right, that is the way it is. So what we do to stop that, what we do to shift that, what we do to change that, is we take, we look at the content of your unconscious mind. That's why these blueprints, I call them downloaded blueprints, because where do they reside? In your subconscious or your unconscious mind. And this work and asking empowered questions is what brings this sticky material that is charged, that is driving your behavior and driving who you're attracting and what you're attracting and the relationship dance that you're doing in a way that you may not even be conscious of. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I remember, uh, just to, you know, give this work some context, yeah. uh, there was, I was dating someone. It, it had just been two dates and I really liked this guy, two or three dates. And I think maybe on the fourth date, he came over and he picked me up in my apartment. So he came up and I was grabbing my things before we headed out, but it was the first time that he saw my apartment. And I lived in a nice apartment in New York City. I mean, it wasn't massive because it's New York City. But right. uh, if you've ever lived in New York, <laughs> like mm -hmm. having anything relatively nice uh, is, is you know, a real gift. And, um, you know, and I was in probably 28. So he, he walks into this apartment and he's like, oh, my, oh, wow, this apartment, this apartment is great. Wow. Do you have a really nice place? And I was like, thanks. And then he, like, disappeared. Like, the day kind of ended short, <laughs> and I never heard from mm -hmm. him again. And so I called my friends, and I was like, this proves it. Like, I, I, what am I supposed to do? Like, they're, they're intimidated that I have a nice apartment. Like, I have my, you know, my stuff together. And right. um, I think it might have been Aaron Stutland or someone was like, well, what if it didn't mean that all men were intimidated? Like, what if he's just an idiot? Like, like, what if, like, why are you making this, this universal thing? Like, oh, all men yes. are going to feel intimidated. Like, what if it was just this one guy? And when we have a belief, we take an example and we use it to prove our limiting belief. Right. You know? That's so funny because it's so true. It's just, what if he got abducted by aliens? Yeah. What if it has nothing, nothing to do with you? Or your apartment, exactly. yeah. It's like a reflection of its, instead of taking everything so personal, what if this is just a reflection of him and it has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with your future? But it's, you know, these limiting beliefs are tricky and it's so important to be aware of them or else you don't even know it's a limiting belief. You just think it's real life. You think it's the reality and that's yes. dangerous. Well, this is why people are unhappy. This is why people are in bad relationships because they obviously don't know that there's a way to be more empowered, right? When you feel victimized and you feel like it's all the external circumstances that are keeping you where you are, what I mainly teach, and it really is, listen, it's for men and women, but so much of my demographic is women, is that you actually have the power. And the more deeply you understand yourself, the more accurately you can decode what has been going on in your life, whether it's your love life or your career or your family life, it doesn't matter. It's all about self-knowledge is the key. Right. So then with that, tell us about these blueprints. Yeah, let's talk a little bit just about the question. So once you guys figure out what the attachment style is for you and who you've been dating or what, what your spouse is, let's just say, 
you start thinking about what type of what type of romantic partner that you've historically been attracted to, right? The bad boy, the jock, the nerd, the rebel, or or the you know the good the girl next door, whatever it is. Like usually you can see some, even though they can be very different, there's some kind of a flow through, and it's always good to see like what is that thread. You know, for me, before I got healthier in therapy, my thread was unavailable men. And I didn't know that I was doing that. I thought I was dating men who were super different than my father. I was consciously, because my father was very buttoned up, waspy guy, not affectionate, not verbal, emotional IQ of a sneaker, right? So I didn't want that. I wanted a very emotive, emotive, like affectionate and passionate. So what was I doing? Falling in love with men who lived on other continents. Oh, I went through that phase too. Of course, yeah, yeah, I I was there. I was in the front row of that phase. (laughs) But what? But let's look at the similarities. What I ended up realizing was that ultimately these men were exactly like my father because they were all actually unavailable. Mm. I was like, no, but they're so loving and so passionate and so verbal, and they think I'm great. But they live in Greece. Not that helpful. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. there are other ways that when you start looking at it, you're like, oh, I actually am repeating. So that's why we say, you know, look at who you've been attracted to um, and look at sort of the similarities of what ways were those partners alike. That's one thing. And then we look at how, how was your parents' relationship? If you were raised by a single parent, what was that like for you? Did they date? Did they not? Were your parents divorced? Did they stay married? Can you see similarities? Like, did your parents problem solve or whoever raised you? I'll say caregivers because it doesn't have to be your parents. It could be grandparents. It could be in foster care. And you still had these models of behavior um, given to you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So did you see similarities also between what was modeled for you and what you're doing in your own life? Is there, if your parents problem solved in a terrible way, like screaming and slamming doors or fighting or violence, do you see that that's what you also go to in your own life, right? right? So we're, we're looking for the similarities. Who had the power in the marriage? Who had the power in the relationship? How did they regard each other, right? Was there affection? Was there violence? Were, was there verbal affection? Was there verbal violence? Because you could have a home where there was no physical violence, but there could be a lot of aggression verbally. Was there a lot of sarcasm? Do you resort to that when you're when you're in a conflict. So these are all the questions that if you get the answers and we'll have them in the downloadable little cheat sheet that you guys are going to be able to get that when you start answering them you can start to connect the dots backwards from your life now the way that you're handling things the way that things are playing out who you're attracted to if it's someone who you've been trying to get into a relationship you may have an aha moment around your love blueprint and the attraction, right, the attachment blueprint, that really opens your eyes Mm. in the dating scene where you can immediately go, oh, no, not another avoidant. No, thanks. Right. I've been doing the same thing. This is what I've been doing. And now you see the red flag that you haven't seen before because you're bringing this, this charged material from the unconscious part of your mind to the conscious part of your mind. And we can't change anything that we are unaware of. Yes. Well, you are answering 
my next question, which was, why is it so important to connect those dots and what happens once we connect those dots? So you're saying that then we're able to see the red flags. And I also think that sometimes we notice the pattern when we're in the middle of it and it's empowering to be like, oh, this is that thing that I do. In relationships or anything, just to be able to create some distance from what's happening and going, oh, okay. And I think we should have that approach because the opposite of that is, oh, my God, I'm so horrible. I'm doing this again. I'm so stupid. I should know better. So if someone's Mm -hmm. going – if someone recognizes the pattern but their mind goes there, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did this. I should know better. Why is that not an effective strategy and what should we do instead? Well, here's the thing. That's your mafia mind, your fear mind, your inner mean girl, whatever you want to call it, right? Because everyone's everyone's got it. And that doesn't help you at all. How could you possibly know what nobody taught you? So let, let's just leave it at that. Let's just leave it at you're going to learn now. You can learn now. And you can change things now. You have the power to shift things. So let's just be super loving because you know what, people? Life is short. And you deserve feeling super loved. And that has to come from you. So anyway, let's stop making ourselves wrong and shooting all over ourselves, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we say? Right. Stop shooting all over yourself. And you can change things now. So instead of making yourself wrong, let's get really into you becoming super curious about why you are the way you are. Become the observer of your own interactions, your own reactions without judgment because it's in that moment that you really start becoming an expert on you and it's only in being an expert on you that you can change anything and those of you who are in relationships and having aha moments just from what we're talking about I want to um, assure you that you don't need to change anything at this moment this doesn't mean just because you realize something It doesn't mean you have to take action right now because I find that a lot of um, women in my courses and in my groups, there's a resistance or a self-sabotage around changing and growing because they're so afraid that they don't have the skills to change and grow and that they're afraid. They're so afraid, you know? So what I'm saying is you can get this information and you can choose to do nothing. All I care about is your happiness and your health. So you can you can choose to change something internally and not change your situation. Everyone is different, you know? So I don't want you to shy away from what we're talking about. Because so much of the time when people are in marriages or situations where they either feel like, wow, is this all there is? Because I really thought I was going to feel differently than I do. Or they know they're in a dysfunctional situation that's either abusive or unhealthy, and they're super unhappy, but they're totally at a loss of what to do or how to change it, what I'm saying is you don't have to do, we're not talking about your partner at all. We're just talking about you. So let's just get you as healthy and happy as possible and just know that whatever's naturally meant to happen will start to be revealed to you. And it's all baby steps, you know? Mm, I'm so happy that you're addressing that because I think a lot of people do feel this pressure of, all right, take action now. I need to make a change, you know, uh, and Yes, there's a time for that when it feels right, but yep. that mentality often makes people shy away from even 
learning about this information or, you know, moving slowly or waiting for the perfect time. I mean, we look at nature and a seed doesn't make a lot of noise when it's growing. Mm -hmm. It's not like this big Mm -hmm. thing of like, oh, I'm, you know, there's something really gentle about growth and time is involved and patience is involved. So I think it's it's nice to give ourselves uh, that time and to acknowledge the small, gentle growth that we're making and to kind of trust the process. Exactly. When, when you think about this, though, we're not really taught this, you know, oh, no. where, where we're, we're just sort of getting through. And I feel like this information is the difference between, did you ever feel like when you're younger that you're like this little teeny boat and like your life and your dating life is like this crazy tsunami and you're just like trying not to drown? (laughs) Have you ever had that experience? Uh, Yes. (laughs) So this changing this up and getting this information from the, your subconscious to your conscious mind is basically you becoming like really the, the tsunami in your own life. And that boat is your life. You're the tsunami and that boat is basically doing what your intention dictates. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? So you're in control. Yes. My question is, I'm very grateful that I was on that little boat and I wasn't controlling the tsunami when I was single and I, and I did the work (laughs) and, uh, and now I feel like I'm the Tsunami as well. But for those who are already in a committed relationship and suddenly they gain this awareness and maybe they're scared because they think, well, I don't, does this mean I need to end this? Or does this even mean that I'm going to have to have some difficult conversations? I mean, they're already in a relationship. So it's not about them simply, they need to go within, but there's another person already directly involved. How does that dynamic work? Well, part of it is that um, we learn, like once you start learning how to talk, um, not in a combative way, but in a really masterful way, because there is a way to effectively communicate. Again, in the beginning, um, and I teach this actually, like I I teach this in, you know, I'm I'm actually doing a bunch of um, classes next um, next Tuesday, actually, I'm doing one for people in relationships and one for people who are single, which these are master classes around this exact topic, which is communicate. One, one big piece of it is communication and how do you do it? How do you do it when you, you're changing maybe if you're in a relationship and your partner isn't changing, then, then how do you do it? And I deal with women who are in this experience all the time. And the first and foremost thing is we don't really focus on the partner in the beginning. So don't worry if that's, if that's where you are, if that's the situation that you're in, let's just, if you, when you start to get really clear about yourself, the actions that you need to take come really naturally. They're like integrated in a way rather than feeling like this huge, like, oh my God, I'm going to tell him everything is going to be different and we're not doing this anymore. I'm going to tell him I'm going to change. This is how, when I was in my twenties, I used to feel like I would have these realizations and these ahas in therapy and I'd be in a relationship at the time and I would feel like I'm going to tell him it's all going to be different. I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to tell him we need to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I teach people (laughs) is that that's completely unnecessary and actually completely counterproductive where let's just get you really clear 
about you first. So there's nothing to change in this moment. And when you, what I've seen, and you know, Jess, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I've helped tens of thousands of people actually change their communication style, the dance that they're doing in their relationship. I've had people, I mean, people take my courses in the beginning of the course. They think that they're, they don't even think they should take the course because they're going to be, they think they need to get a divorce. And I always say, Hey, why don't we just wait until the 10 weeks are up and let's just see how you feel, because I promise you one thing, I can't tell you what to do, I have no idea. What I do know is that after 10 weeks of deep diving into yourself, you will have total clarity. Whether you wanna do what you find out or not, that's your choice, whether you choose to do it or not, that's your choice. But the confusion that comes along with being unsure and being so afraid of having to have a hard conversation, once you learn how to do it with love, with ease, with grace, it becomes so much less threatening. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Well, Terry, this has been so helpful. And I have some questions that I like to uh, end when every time I have a new guest. But Great. before we go into those questions, because yeah. you're talking about the courses that you do, I'd love for you to share with, with my audience um, about the love revolution. I sure will. Well, there's two things. The, the Real Love Revolution is a 10-week course. It starts on February 1st. And it is all of what we're talking about, Jess. But it's something that I've actually spent really my entire professional career building up to this course, um, where it's only for women, though. So don't worry, fellas. I'm creating one for you. It comes out in 2018. But right now, <laughs> this one is only for the ladies. And it's 10 weeks. And it's built on the five pillars that after 20 years of doing this, I really was able to, like, get the cream of what is it that needs to change for people to create real revolutionary love in their life. Healthy, exciting, passionate, durable, long-lasting, vibrant love. And most of us, including me, didn't, didn't necessarily learn it from our parents. And so I was like, there has to be a way. Once I learned that I could do it and then found Vic, once I figured out my downloaded love blueprint, I felt like every woman should be able to do this because I definitely thought it was never happening in my life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I can do it, I know for a fact every single person <laughs> on planet Earth could do it if they want to, you know. Yes. So quickly, the five pillars are self-awareness, which we handle for two weeks, self-knowledge, which we handle for two weeks, um, self-acceptance, which is a major one, which we handle for two weeks, self-compassion, which we handle for two weeks, and then we move into self-love and self-celebration. And I've basically taken all of the tools, the strategies, and what I've done with one-on-one -on -one clients successfully over the past 20 years, and I have built them into an online coaching program. Of course, it isn't therapy because it's virtual, right? <laughs> so it, it actually can't be therapy. But the entire thing is based on all of these therapeutic principles, and I've created therapeutic meditations for each week so that we're working on that unconscious mind that you and I were talking about before and the conscious mind. And it's a group of very empowered women, only women. So we have a private Facebook group, 10 modules that I shot actually in Barcelona, so they're super beautiful, 10 live calls per week with me as well because I'm dealing with your specific issues. Because really, I mean, what I've learned and why I created this course, and Jess, you know this, that there's no one size fits all when it comes to what is blocking us 
in love because it's really all about your life, right? Nobody is you, just like nobody is me. And every person listening is just as unique. So we need that integration that I, where I spend so much time in the private Facebook group and so much time on the integration calls, handling people's specific situations, like what's coming up for them. Because that's why that, that calling in the one and learning the rules and all this other stuff doesn't work because it's very generalized. And as a psychotherapist for almost 20 years and a relationship expert for almost 20 years, I can tell you that general ideas don't, they don't apply to everyone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if people are interested in this, we'll put that information um, on this page as well. But also you can come and do a free masterclass with me on Tuesday. I'm doing two different classes. So one is for women who are in relationships and need help managing it better or speaking their mind more accurately or understanding how what dance they're doing in their relationship if they're not happy or if they feel like they could be happier. And the other one is for all the single ladies who would like to be partnered in a healthy way. Right. So all that information is at thetappingsolution.com forward slash notes. And if you're listening to this uh, sometime in the future and you miss those classes, there's still yes. a lot of resources to check out in that link. And you've been really generous with giving us a lot of goodies. So thank you very much, Terry. Yes. If you're, going, if you're in the future, right, if, you're, if this is after, then you can just go to terrycole.com forward slash RLR for a bunch of free goodies. Awesome. Thank you, Terry. So, I love you, Jess. Well, let's jump into these final questions. Sure. Could you share something with us that happened in your life that when it happened, it seemed really horrible, but it ended up becoming a big blessing? Uh, yeah. But since we're a little bit tight on time, I'm going to pick one that is a little bit shorter than the other one. Okay. <laughs> um, I was actually diagnosed with cancer in 1998 and no, 1997 and 98. And this, you know, any cancer diagnosis is terrifying. I had two different kinds of thyroid cancer, one that's very common, one that's very rare. I had two of the same surgeries in a six month period of time. And at the time I just was like, wow, scared out of my mind, obviously, because I didn't want to die. And I was, didn't want my life to be cut short because I love life. But it also changed everything. And in the way that it changed everything, I would never go back and undo it ever, even right now. And listen, you know, there are residual effects of being a cancer survivor, cancer thriver, whatever you want to call it, which is that, you know, you have you find a bump on your, your leg even now, and you're like, oh crap, what's that? Where before cancer, I'd be like, oh, I must have just hit my shin on something. After cancer, you're like, gotta go to the doctor, might be cancer. You know, so I mean, there are definitely like downsides of but, being a survivor. But going back to what you've been teaching us about almost having the courage to be curious, mm. do you feel like a diagnosis like this gives you extra courage to do this work because suddenly you're faced with your own mortality? Oh, and listen, the, the clarity, it's a great question, but let me tell you, the clarity that comes from a cancer diagnosis where you, any BS that was dominating my life, like the size of my ass or whatever, like anything right. that I was, I was like, wow, this really matters. I never had more clarity in my life than sitting there and having someone say the word, it's malignant to your face where 
the clarity of your own priorities and how fragile life can be and how important it is to be loving, to figure out your crap, to not waste another moment complaining. Don't stop working so much. Like in the end of your life, you're not going to say, wow, I totally wish I worked more. You aren't. Mm. You will regret the love you didn't share, the things you didn't say, the vulnerability you didn't allow yourself to experience. Those are the things you'll regret. And I got that at the age of 31. Right. And that changed my entire life. You know, because then suddenly you really are like, wow, I really do want to live. You know that song, that Tim McGraw song, you know, live like you're dying. Yeah. Suddenly you really want to do that because you are like, it feels like you, for me, it's like I dodged a bullet, but you never forget. It's not like a near miss in an accident where you're like, you have that. You're like, wow, I'm never texting again. It's over. When you get a cancer diagnosis, at least for me, that appreciation for being alive, the honor and the privilege that is this beautiful life is never far from the front of my mind. Yeah. And I think that's an invitation for all of us to experience that, you know, and and hopefully we don't need a, a cancer diagnosis to open our eyes to that. Um, but how beautiful that that's where you went when you were faced with that experience. And what an invitation to all of us to really begin to appreciate this moment uh, and, to, and to reflect on that ourselves. Terry, I have one last question. Sure. If you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Wow. Jess, in all the interviews I've done in the past 20 years, I've literally never been asked that. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> – I think it's an awesome question. I think it gives people an insight on someone's personality. But no, no pressure on your answer. I just The first thing that comes to mind. I think I would be like a fly – some kind of a flying bird. I love the idea of being free. My, my, my top core desired feeling is freedom. And I love the idea of being able to fly. It's funny. I first thought about a dog and I was like, no, because then I'm being controlled by humans. Forget that. <laughs> I think I want to be maybe an owl. Ooh, an owl. Are you, do you like, are you like a late night person? Um, no, I'm really not actually. I mean, I, I am kind of since I've been with Vic for the past 20 years because he's crazy. But generally speaking, I'd like to go to bed at 11 and get up at seven every day of my life. That would be great. So it's not the nocturnal part. It's, no. So what is it about the owl? It's the, I, I like the idea of being alone and being together with other birds. I like the idea of the independence that I could fly anywhere. I don't like the idea of like picking up mice and eating them though. So maybe could I be a vegetarian <laughs> owl? Cause I would like that. You could be whatever you want. So right, a vegetarian I'm owl, <laughs> but I love it. They are wise and yeah. they have that freedom. So an owl, we've never heard an owl before, you know, someone wanting to be an owl. So Thank you. Thank, thank you for that. And thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. It was a real gift. Uh, I love you so much. And I really encourage everyone that's listening to check out your course and to stay connected with you because you're really doing some amazing things. So Terry, thank you so much for sharing Thanks, with us. Jeff. I love you too, honey. Bye. Bye.